Well, what I want to mention to you today is about the Immaculate Reception. I didn't say Immaculate Conception, but the Immaculate Reception. Maybe you have heard of that, but maybe not. It's considered one of the greatest plays in NFL history. Um, It was uh, back in 1972, the Pittsburgh Steelers were losing 7-6. Fourth and 10 on their own 40-yard line. Terry Bradshaw at quarterback. It looked pretty bleak at that point. This was a playoff game. They lose this game. They're out uh, of the season. And uh, Terry Bradshaw goes back to pass. They come in after him. It looks like he's going to get sacked. He throws a long ball to his receiver. The defender meets him right at the same time. The ball bounces off the defender, going back towards the quarterback. Out of nowhere, Franco Harris, the running back, catches the ball before it hits the ground, runs in the end zone for the win. It became known as the Immaculate Reception because it was almost miraculous that uh, that that play happened and the Steelers were able to win that game. They didn't win the Super Bowl that year, but it was a turning point for the organization who went on to win many NFL championships in the 70s. Now, why am I talking about the Immaculate Reception? Well, it's because we're going to talk about this word receive and reception and the importance of it. Um, we tend to think of uh, receive very passively. To receive something is something you just stand there and you receive it. But in fact, it is not. Even in football, we know it's, if Franco Harris just kind of stood there and watched, that ball would hit the ground. And the Steelers would not have won, and we would have not known of that play. But it takes effort and technique in football to receive the ball, to be a good receiver. Well, in this passage we're going to look at today, we're going to talk about receiving the Word of God. We're looking at James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. So turn there if you're not there already. But the key word that we're going to see here in verse 21, it says, in humility, receive the word implanted. And this is, again, a key word, and it's an active word. The word receive here means to indicate approval or conviction by accepting. To receive is saying, yes, I am bringing that in, like a a receiver grabs the ball, and then tucks it into his body. It's, it's reaching out and getting it. And we must, too, make an effort to receive God's Word on a regular basis. Each Sunday morning, each Bible study, each time in the morning in the Word, um, we need to actively look to God's Word and to receive it into our hearts. So let's look again, if you're not there already, James 1, verses 19 to 21. God's word says this, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, this passage is, marks a new section in the epistle of James. We have been looking at, for quite a while, verses 2 to 18, and talking about how genuine faith demonstrates itself and how you respond to trials. Now we are going to look at, in verses 19 through 27, 
that genuine faith receives the word. And I want to make sure you understand as I talk about receiving the word, I'm not talking about receiving it in salvation, and that'll become clear as we study the passage, but as a believer, how you receive the word. Now, we know this section, verses 19 to 27, form a unit for a few reasons. Uh, Number one, the grammar makes that clear. Often in the book of James, as we've seen, he starts each new section with this phrase, my beloved brethren or my brethren. Uh, We see that here in, we saw that my brethren in verse 2 of chapter 1, we will see in the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1. So 1, 2 and 2, 1 both have it. And here it starts off again, uh, my beloved brethren. So an often way that he starts a section. And then we see throughout this passage, not only that, but the grammar shows us a lot of connecting words. Uh, In verse 19, uh, you see but, and then 20, you see the word for, 21, therefore, 22, but, 23, for, 24, for, 25, but. These connecting words help us to see that a passage is a unit. So in James, it's very tempting, or we want to just pick out one verse and see it as unconnected to the others. But we need to be careful not to do that, because that's not James' intent. That's not how he wrote it, and so we should not misunderstand what he's writing. So here we have a section. And what I'm telling you is uh, that this section is about receiving the word. That's the main point here. And we can see that he introduced this topic at the end of the last section in verse 18. So if you have your Bibles, again, look at the end of verse 18 as we were studying responding to trials. He made an important point here that, that trials, every good thing, not temptation, but every good thing comes from God. So actually up in, even starting in 17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. And the last point in verse 18, he said that it's a, the perfect demonstration that God gives good gifts is the salvation that he gives to us. And we saw in verse 18, he brought us forth by the word of truth. It is God's work in our hearts that brings us to the knowledge of the truth. And we were reminded of that again this morning in the first hour. And that is absolutely the case, is that God is the one who does the action. He brings us forth by the word of truth. But now that we have the truth and we'll see the truth implanted, we need to continue to receive the word to grow by it. And so we see in this passage, verses 19, down, uh, this idea repeated. Um, in 18 was word of truth. We see the word implanted in verse 21. Verse 22 talks about the word. 23 mentions the word. 25 mentions the perfect law, the law of liberty. Throughout this, there's a focus on the word. And the word is the message from God. It's the gospel. We, we looked at that again last time, that God brought us forth or birthed us literally by the gospel, by the word of the truth. This is all of God's work, but he did it through the gospel message. God does not save us against our will, but he changes our will. He changes our hearts. 
And he brings us to the truth by moving us and by changing us from the inside out. And so we are going to look today at some initial points here on how to receive the word. And as we think about receiving the word, we often, for those of us who have the opportunity and privilege to preach the word, we recognize it's an amazing privilege, but a huge responsibility to teach. And for those of you who had done any teaching of God's word, you recognize that it is a formidable task and a sobering task to stand before people and say, this is what God says, and this is what you must do because of what God says. And we take that very seriously here at Grace Church, as you know. But do not forget that those who receive the word, you have an equally equal sober responsibility to receive it well. You have the opportunity to hear God's word taught on a regular basis. You're responsible for that. You are responsible for the truth that comes to you. Whether it's in the main service, in commissioned, in your Bible studies, in your own time of the word, you have the opportunity to hear God's word. Well, that comes with a heavy responsibility as well. What are you going to do with it? Are you receiving the word well? And so today, we're going to start looking at how to receive the word well. The title for the message uh, would be Genuine Faith Receives the Word. And we're going to look at today three ways that you must receive the word so that you will rightly demonstrate the truthfulness and authority of Scripture. Three ways that you must receive the word. The first one will be receive the word eagerly. Secondly, that you must receive the word purely. And then the third, you must receive the word humbly. So that's our outline for this morning, how we are to receive the word. So first, again, look at your scriptures there, verses 19 to 20, receive the word eagerly. And James writes this, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So he says here we must receive the word eagerly. Now, depending on the version of the Bible you have in the New American Standard Bible, it says, this you know. Well, if you have a legacy standard Bible, you will see it says, know this. One is an indicative. It's a statement of fact, this you know. The other is a command saying, hey, know this. And interestingly, in the Greek, they look the same. So we can't distinguish just from looking at the word. Is this a command or is it a statement? And usually what you have to do then is look at the context. Okay, how does the context help us to know if it's a command or not? Now, it's a little challenging in this section because it just starts a sentence here. But I think there's a, a few reasons uh, why it's best to see this as an imperative. This is a command to us, and that, which the Legacy Standard Bible has. So the first reason to go more at the Legacy Standard Bible is that I get commission on every time I say Legacy Standard Bible... <laughs> No, that's, no, that's not true. <laughs> no, the first reason is um, that James typically pairs his address of my brethren or my beloved brethren with an imperative. That's his pattern. And so most likely he's, he's combining that again, an imperative with the address, my brethren. And secondly, we see James 
much more frequently uses imperatives throughout his letter. So that's his normal usage of, the, of verbs. And so it's, it's probably best to see it then as an imperative. And James is saying, then, you really need to know this. This is important. He had just said, as, as you recall, in verse 16, do not be deceived. That was a command. He said, do not be deceived, beloved brother. Now he's saying, know this. This is the truth that you must know. And the truth that he is saying, commanding them to know, is a threefold command here. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I say it's a threefold command because the way it's structured is it's a command. You must, and then three uh, sections of the command. So they really go together. We need to see these three together, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So what is this saying? What does it mean to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Well, it's somewhat a funny expression, quick to hear. It sounds like kind of a hurry up and listen uh, type of command, which how do you hurry up and listen? You can only hear as fast as the other person is talking, uh, typically. Unless, of course, now with MP3s, you could put it on like one and a half speed or, or two speed if you really want to just blow through a sermon by Brad and, and you know, uh, to get the gist and say that you've heard it. And uh, so, yeah, you can be really quick to hear if you do something like that. But that's not what it's saying here. Um, it's saying being, be ready, be ready to hear, be attentive, be eager to hear. And this is really good advice in any relationship, right, or any uh, interaction you have with people, to be a good listener, to be attentive to what other people say. But we need to make sure we're looking at this in context. That, that principle is true. Always be quick to hear. But in context, what is he talking about? And I think what's important here is to understand the historical context. We need to understand that when James was written, everybody didn't have a copy of God's Word in their hand either in a Bible or on their phones. Certainly, they didn't have copies of God's Word. In fact, the New Testament had not been written yet. Um, this was the first book of the New Testament being written. They had the Old Testament, was in written form, but not everyone had a copy in their home. So when, they, when would they be able to hear God's Word? It would be on Sundays when it was taught. And it would literally be a hearing wasn't a reading, it was a hearing of God's Word. So to be quick to hear is to be eager to, to listen to what God says. And so they had those opportunities in, in the service each Sunday, the, an opportunity that we have all the time uh, in our Bibles or on uh, the internet where we can listen to sermons all the time. But for them, it had to only be by hearing and when the when the Bible was taught. But what he's saying then is seek out those opportunities. Be ready to listen when Scripture is taught. So an application of this for us is certainly be eager to fill your heart, to fill your mind with the truth. Be eager for those opportunities to hear. Be ready on a Sunday to, to listen, to hear what God's being taught. Look for opportunities to study God's Word on your own, to listen to sermons, how much you fill your mind and your heart with God's Word will have direct impact on your spiritual growth. If you think that by filling your mind with entertainment, 
or worldly ideas is going to help your spiritual growth, well, you're mistaken. It's going to be through filling it with God's Word. And so the first part of this command is to be quick to hear, to be eager to listen to God's Word, but secondly, to be slow to speak. And again, we don't want to misunderstand this. This doesn't mean to talk slowly. Uh, No, it means don't be so hasty in speaking things. Don't be hasty in speech. And we see this in the Proverbs uh, quite a bit. Proverbs 10.19, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 13.3, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 29.20, do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. And a very powerful exhortation is given by Jesus in Matthew 12, 36 to 37. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So in every scenario of our life, we do need to be careful in how quickly we speak and what we say and choose carefully as to the right time to speak in a situation. But again, we need to remember the thrust of the context here as that James is looking to. And he is talking about, okay, when the, when the word is being taught, when uh, someone is speaking God's truth in the gathering, you need to be slow to speak slow to give your opinion, slow to say things like, well, let me say what I think about what God's Word is saying there. You got to remember in the early church, the services were much more informal than today. They didn't have a PA system, uh, smaller gatherings. We even read in 1 Corinthians 14 sometimes, it got a little disorderly, in fact, with different people saying things. In 1 Corinthians 14, 33, Paul had to remind them that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, and that the church service needed to be orderly, because there was much more interaction, and maybe a little bit more like our Bible studies today, which are interactive. And so, in that type of a setting, boy, be, be slow to speak. Be careful how quickly you want to speak up and say, well, let me give my opinion. Let me tell you what I have to say. Listen more than you speak. Listen carefully to what God's Word says. And not be so quick to want to shout out your opinion on what it says. Remember, you don't learn anything when you're speaking. You learn when you're listening. So therefore, let's much, be much more eager to listen than to speak. And what would happen in that time and what we're seeing is, along with that speaking came anger. So the third part of the command, slow to anger. And we know anger is, uh, the command against anger is found in many places in Scripture. Certainly in Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 29, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. And then in Ecclesiastes 7, 9, Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Anger is for fools. Anger is not for the genuine believer. 
Now, the anger that's being talked about, the, the actual word here in James, is a persistent attitude of anger. It's not the hot-headed, um, rage type of anger, but the, the inner attitude of anger, the one that responds more in um, criticism or biting sarcasm or condescending comments. That's the kind of anger, and that's the kind of anger that can come up in the household a lot, and certainly an anger that is not becoming of a believer. And there are homes, I know, where there is anger, and that needs to be repented of, and there needs to be, that needs to be put off. But a particular, again, to this passage is anger when you're receiving God's Word. Anger in boy, I just heard something I don't like. Even this morning's message, Vody says that people don't like him because he says things that they don't like. And one of the things is like, look, you know, it's, it's God's work totally and you get no credit. Well, that can't produce anger in some people. And I know a common way that anger is produced too is when God's word is taught and you're confronted by your sin, it's easy to get angry because it hurts to have sin confronted. It hurts to be told that, look, you are doing it wrong. You are dishonoring God. Now, that could happen on a Sunday morning. You hear a preacher and you get angry inside, or certainly a Bible study in your time in the Word, but may I suggest in counseling it can happen. That's a lot of times when sin is directly confronted one-on-one, and the natural response of man is to get angry. To get angry at being confronted by sin. And I encourage you from this passage, be slow to anger. Don't respond that way when God's word is taught. And he says why here in verse 20, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And here we're talking as in the righteousness of God, the righteousness that God looks for in the lives of a believer that anger does not, it's not becoming, it's not a righteous act for a believer to get angry. But what about righteous anger? Hey, I think all my anger is righteous anger, we want to immediately say. Didn't Jesus get angry in the temple? And didn't he drive out the money changers? And what about Ephesians 4, 6 that says, be angry and do not sin? And yes, there is a, an anger that is without sin. There is a righteous anger. And that's the anger when you see God's name dishonored and you want to defend God's honor and character and the truth. And you are careful. But that is a, an anger that is much less mentioned in Scripture because it's, a re, it's much less exhibited in our lives as well. Most of the time, the anger that comes out of us is an anger that does not produce the righteousness of God. If you're defending your own honor, if you are angry because uh, out of an emotion not based on truth, then that is an unrighteous anger, and that does not please the Lord. And so we have this threefold command here that we must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And the idea, again, the thrust is we need to be eager to receive the word eagerly to want to hear God's word, not wanting to say our own opinion, and certainly not responding with indignation. You need to be eager to hear God's word, even when it confronts your own life. 
That's how to receive the word, James tells us. Secondly, we see in verse 21, receive the word purely. Receive the word purely, the first half of verse 21. We read, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. And the therefore connects with the previous verse and saying, well, since anger is not the way to receive the word, James now tells us how we are to receive the word. And he mentions in the first part of this verse that we're to receive the word purely. And that points to proper preparation before coming to God's word. Now, the main verb in verse 21, as I mentioned before, is to receive the word. But the verb here, putting aside, is connected to it grammatically in such a way that it is a command, putting aside all filthiness, and it's also preceding the action of receiving. So what this verse is saying is, first do this, first put aside this, and then receive the word well. And you may see in different versions, putting aside or laying aside or putting away. And the Greek word here literally can be taking off, like removal of a piece of clothing. Take off. Take off filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. And this is a taking off that we see other places in the New Testament. Laying aside the deeds of darkness in Romans 13, 12. Ephesians 4, 22, lay aside the old self. And this has the same idea of, of taking off, putting off the filthiness and remains of wickedness. Well, what is this filthiness and remains of wickedness? Well, filthiness, it, it carries the same metaphor along as of like clothing. It, it's like dirty clothing, filthiness, disgusting clothing. We are to take it off. And if you're anything like me, sometimes your clothing gets dirty day to day. You spill food on yourself, maybe not as much as I do, but uh, I can get dirty, or certainly just the dirt and grime of the world, you can get filthy. We need to take that off. You are not going to put on clean clothing over a very dirty garment. You first want to take the dirty garment off. And that's the picture here that James is making, our hearts and minds get so easily polluted in this world by what we hear and the thinking of this world and also by our own indwelling sin. And these are things we must put off. We must say, okay, I need to set aside my selfishness, my pride, my anger, and listen to what God's Word says. But not only all filthiness, and we see the word all there and in the second one, meaning every part of it, but also all that remains of wickedness. And this isn't so much a second category as providing a fuller picture of the first, of filthiness. And really, all that remains of wickedness can be translated abundant wickedness or rampant wickedness. Now, if you're familiar with the KJV of this section, I love the phrase there, the superfluity of naughtiness is what it said that we are to lay aside the superfluidity of naughtiness. And um, very unusual term that we would use, but I think fitting. Anything in our hearts, in our lives, that is sinful, that is self-righteous, or covetous, or greed, or anger, we need to put this off. How do we think that we can receive truth from God's Word and, 
start implementing truth from God's word when we're holding on to sinful attitudes within us. We must take these off. We must take off the dirty clothes before putting on the clean clothes, the the truth of God's word in our heart. And that points to preparing our hearts ahead of time before we come on a Sunday, before we come to a Bible study. Are we ready to receive the word? Are we putting aside our own thinking and our own ideas and just humbly sitting before God's word? Which leads us to the third third way to receive God's word here. We saw receive the word eagerly, receive the word purely, and third, receive the word humbly. At the end of verse 21, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, James writes, we must humbly receive the word implanted. And as I said, the implanted means that the truth is already there. The gospel is already there in the heart. So this command to receive is not saying receive uh, salvation so much as receive the input of God's word and how it will change your life. And he uses the word implanted here. And it's actually an agricultural metaphor, which I know Brad would enjoy. You know, a good farming term here. It's implanted. It is something that has put in here in the human heart. And most likely, as James looks a lot to the teachings of Jesus and alludes to them, that he is alluding to the parable of the sower and the seed that is planted in the different types of soil, and that God's word is implanted, and in the heart that God prepares, that that seed will yield fruit. And so he says here, we must, in humility, receive that word that's been implanted in us. Now, it's key to remember that it, he says here in humility, and that's such an important word in the Christian life, isn't it? In humility. We need to come before God's word humbly. What does it have to teach us? What in our lives needs to be confronted? What in our lives is not honoring to God and needs to change? And we are naturally prideful, every one of us. And it's hard to come humbly to God's word. But that is what we must do to grow in Christ-likeness. The same idea is in Isaiah 66-2, where the Lord tells who pleases him, he says, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. So really this receiving the word of humility is the opposite of the anger he was talking about. Instead of responding angrily, we are to respond humbly. We are to have a sanctified recognition that, look, I know I'm not perfect. I know there's something in my life that needs to change. God, just show me what that is. Show me, God, by the teaching of your word, by the reading of your word. Show me what needs to change because I know I need to grow in holiness. Come humbly to God's word and receive it. Again, receive it. Be actively receiving the word as we talked about. This is the receiving like the Bereans who received the word with all eagerness, Acts 17.11. It's the receiving like those in Thessalonica that we looked at in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 
They receive the word of God, not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God. You need to receive the word, that it, this is the word of God. Now, you guys know, not every preacher is going to be perfect. In fact, none of them are. Not even Brad. And you will, you know that every preacher is imperfect in how they deliver. But the truth, if they are teaching from the scriptures, which I trust that's what will happen here at this church, it is God's truth that's being taught. And you have the opportunity to be taught God's word. And so you need to receive that humbly. What does God have to teach me today when you hear God's word? And why should we be so ready to receive it humbly? Well, the last part of verse 21 which is able to save your souls. The word is able to save. And here it's not merely referring to the initial part of salvation, your justification, but also your sanctification, glorification, the full salvation of your soul. That God's word is powerful. It was powerful enough to bring you to faith, and it is powerful enough to save you from sin now and to bring you to heaven one day. That's how amazing God's word is. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is powerful, so we must long to receive it, long to be under it, humbly respond to it. You may at times even think, look, I, I can't change. There's a sin in my life. I just can't have victory over it, that there's no hope. But that's not true. God's word is powerful enough to save you, has released you from the power of sin. And God's word can continue to do that in your life. Listen to this exhortation from Jay Adams. Christian, do you listen to the preaching with the heart wide open to truth, the heart unprotected from the thrust of the spirit's sword? Or is your heart hard, resistant to certain teaching? Have you so rationalized your sin that your conscience rarely, if ever, accuses you of certain sin anymore? It is time to crack open those compartments of your heart that you have so successfully barred. Instead, bear them to the preaching of the word. Listen with a willingness to hear, understand, apply, and obey. Well, the application is pretty clear from this passage, isn't it? Eagerly receive the word. Look for opportunities to fill your mind with Scripture. When God's word is taught, spend less time evaluating the preacher if he's done a good job in delivery and more time evaluating your own life if you could do a better job in obedience. Eagerly receive it. Secondly, purely receive the word. Come to God in confession. When is the last time you have poured out your heart in confession of sin to the Lord? That should be regular. If that's not a regular part of your life, confessing of sin, then something's wrong. You're not seeing God as holy as he is and seeing yourself as sinful as you are. Come to the word, receive the word purely. And finally, Receive the word humbly. Always come saying, God, what do you have to teach me? 
Not what is the new aspect of theology, what new thing don't I know, Lord, but what, how can I change? What am I not doing to honor you on a day-by-day basis? God, change me. It's a big responsibility to receive the word. You hear God's word taught regularly. You read God's word. You can hear sermons. And praise God for the opportunity to do that. Wonderful to hear thousands of sermons. Fantastic. That is great. What are we doing with the truth that's been given to us? Let's be careful how we receive the word because it is God's message to us. Let's pray together. Lord, what an immense responsibility every one of us has when we read, when we hear the teaching of your word. Lord, what a privilege it is to, to have your revelation of yourself to us and your perfect law revealed to us. Father, may we never treat it lightly. God, I pray that each one of us would humbly be ready to what you have to say to us. And may we go forth this day living differently because of the truth of your word. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.